So if you want to find problems in a church, look for a deacon. Always like that uneasy people. Not sure if they should laugh at that or exactly what's going on. If you would like to find problems in a church, look for a deacon. Now, lest you think I'm saying something that I'm not, let me be clear at the outset. I want to make sure you understand what I mean by that statement. I'll say it at least a couple of times before we're done so you'll understand better. But uh, here's the deal. Churches are full of people. And people are messy. And God knows that about us. And so God, in his incredible wisdom and in his divine insight, God created a mechanism, a tool, inside the life of a local church to deal with messy people and messes that they make. That tool is called a deacon. So I want to ask you to take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Acts chapter 6. I've seen this to be true, deacons who find themselves in situations where problems are there. I've seen this from the first day that I was a minister. I've heard a lot of things. I'll give you a couple of those stories before it's over with today. But uh, I I think of the first deacons meeting that I went to as a pastor, senior pastor of a church that had called me to be their pastor. And I met with the deacons in the call process. And so, you know, there's that meet inspection thing that happens where the new potential new pastor comes in. It's like he's meet at the supermarket and deacons pick him up and poke him to see if he's fresh and, you know, all those things throw him back in. Uh, and so I've been to those kind, but in this particular church, I, I had that and then I, they called me as pastor and I went to that church and in that first deacons meeting, we spent 45 minutes dealing with a problem in the church. Welcome to the field, pastor. And in that particular church, the problem that we had that took 45 minutes for us to deal with was a lock that wasn't functioning properly on one of the doors. I've been to other deacons' meetings. I think of one where I went before I was a senior pastor. I just went as the assistant pastor of that church and first rattled out of the box. The senior pastor came to me and he said, I want you to go to a lunch meeting I have today. And I said, lunch? I'm in. And he said, "Uh, well, it's not what you think. And so we met with the officers from the deacons And for about two hours, we worked through a problem in the church. The church had been sued. And that set of leaders in that church met to talk about how the church should go forward and how those two leadership groups, the pastoral staff and the deacons, should lead that church out of that problem and into peace. So as we get started today... I want to get a few things out on the table for you. First of all, to my knowledge, we don't have any controversy between me and the deacons here. Now, I know that was true when I started the day. I don't know if it's still true after preaching this sermon once and now 10 minutes into another one. 
uh, but there's, this is not one of those things where the pastor's getting up trying to get a word in before the shoe drops. It's not that at all. As a matter of fact, one of the best times to have a sermon like this is when there is no controversy so that we all know that we're all on the same page going forward. But I tell you, I love these men in this church who serve as deacons. I'm honored to serve with them, and it's been a great 21 months for me. I don't know what it's been for them. So there's no problem with us. That's not why I'm preaching this. And secondly, I want you to know that I have historically built deep friendships with deacons in the churches where I have served as pastor. I've done that for a couple of reasons, some of which you'll hear today, the theological groundwork for those friendships that I've had, but some of the choicest servants of God that I've known through the years have been deacons, and they've taken a particular interest in me and in my family and uh, likewise me with theirs. So that's where we are. This is not one of those things that the church should get all up in arms about and get defensive about before we even get started. Uh, As a matter of fact, let me just go ahead and get the rest of the way on the table. The reason I'm having this sermon today, first of all, it's a different kind of a sermon for you. It's not what you're normally used to hearing. But there's a couple of reasons. First of all, we're going to ordain four new men. Well, the men aren't new. They're they're going to be new deacons. Uh, Next Sunday night, we will have an ordination service for four men who will be new deacons in our church. Now, that take, I hope you'll be there. I'll say that again before the service is over. But uh, it takes me back 21 months ago. When I first got here, the first sermon series I preached on Sunday mornings was called First Things. And I used that series of sermons. It lasted, I don't know, two or three months, I think. But I used that as a way to let you know some of the fundamental parts of who I am, some theologically grounded truths so that you would know what you got in that new pastor that came in. And this sermon uh, would have really fit well in that series, but it wasn't the right time. Now it is the right time because next week, as I said, on Sunday night, we'll ordain these four new men. And I think it's a good point for us to come back together as a church to understand what the office of a deacon is and why we do that and what God intended with all of that. And so with that in mind, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, we find this account that scholars would say is the first account, the genesis, if you will, of this office that we call deacon. And there are a number of places we could go in Scripture to flesh some of this out, qualifications, etc. And you saw a little, a few references on the short uh, video that we just showed you about what a servant is, a deacon entry, the genesis of the office of deacon in a local church and how that came to be and what it says to us. And here's the first thing. We'll get to reading it in just a moment, Acts chapter 6. But here's the first thing that we have to recognize I started off by saying if you want to find problems in the local church, look for a deacon. And the reason is because deacons are grown or born in a problem scenario. When I was a youth minister, kind of that last stretch for me as a youth minister, uh, I was serving in an area and had been there a while, so people in the area at least were a little bit familiar with me, and a church from a different town. The town was Harlingen, Texas. Uh, This church did not have a youth minister. They were looking for one. They didn't have it. It was time for their annual beach retreat. And they asked me if I would come suffer for Jesus and teach a teenager's 
uh, teenage retreat down on South Padre Island. It was brutal being there on that island. Well, actually, uh, it was a little harder than what you might think it would be. So I drove over about 45 minutes to this particular church in Harlingen, Texas. And because I was just the guest speaker, I didn't have to worry about all the logistics of taking 40 to 50 teenagers down to the beach for three days. And so while the, the adults were working on getting all of the stuff together and loaded up in the vehicles, I just kind of filtered my way through the different kids that were there, teenagers. And uh, things were going pretty well. Teenagers as a rule, uh, you know, I was a lot younger then, so they didn't mind talking to me. And uh, I was doing fairly well. And I walked up behind this one guy, kind of a little bit at an angle from behind him. And as I got up to him, he was probably a junior, maybe a senior in high school. And as I walked up to him, he wheeled around and he straightened, squared up to me, and he straightened through his chest out like this, and he looked me dead in the eyes, and he said, you got a problem? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I got a problem. I didn't have one when I started this conversation, but I have one now for sure. Well, what happened with that was over the next 12, 14 hours roughly, I watched that teenage kid bully his way through every encounter he had with anybody. He had a problem. And he forced himself in a variety of different ways, trying to be antagonistic and trying to, you know, show his way. As it turns out, he didn't even go to that church. One of the young teenage girls had invited him to come. And uh, so she and a friend of hers and this guy systematically flaunted the authority that they thought they had and threw it in the face of the people who really had authority. The final straw for that young man and those two teenage girls was when all of the adults woke up the next morning and found that they were not in their rooms as they were supposed to be, were found out on the beach with an empty bottle of whiskey. That boy cause trouble. And my heart broke in that instance for especially one of the individuals from that church. He was a man. Turns out he was the deacon representative for the youth group. My heart broke for him because I knew that the problems that he was having that day because of that kid were going to be problems for months to come for him and the other deacons of that church. One of the realities, for those of you who are deacons, you know to be true, is that there just keeps coming up, these problems do. And they find themselves into your laps, it seems. And when you find yourself in that situation and you find yourself a little bit tired of having to deal with problems all the time, I'm going to remind you of Acts chapter 6, verse 1, where it says this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The early church, in the midst of this growth, this push of growth uh, in Jerusalem and in that immediate area right there, was doing so well that Satan decided it's time to kick in. 
Now, one of the things that you'll know, and you'll hear me say again today, is that when a church begins to do what God has called it to do, and it determines to be all that God has called it to be, then you can be sure that Satan will kick in and try to divide that congregation. He's never more threatened than he is when God's people decide to be God's people. And so in this early church, we have this problem that comes up, and we as a border community and a church in a border community should really tie in well with what the problem here was. Because the problem that originates in this church in the first century is one that is tied to tradition in their Jewish context, and there's a language problem, and there's a cultural issue in that. The language problem, the Hellenists or the Greek-speaking Jews, your translation might say, those who are coming from away from Jerusalem, from the greater Roman Empire, those Jews who had been dispersed and, and now began to come back to Jerusalem. Most of them, by the way, were coming back because they wanted to die in Jerusalem as part of their messianic expectations. They had missed the Messiah, we would say, but they still wanted to be back in Jerusalem in that latter part of their lives. And so as they came back and husbands began to die, these widows of these Greek-speaking Hellenist people all of a sudden now were being incorporated into the church. The church was doing its job, and it was reaching across cultural barriers. And some of them got sideways with others. They did that because they weren't being treated the way they thought they should be. A traditional problem, which was the way the Jews took care of widows especially, and with charitable giving we would call that, almsgiving they called it, in a situation, in a situation where they just didn't have anything, and the religious community rallied to that, now there's a problem. And the problem was culturally driven and a language issue. Let me just stop to say, one of the things that we as a church and a borderland community must always be on guard against is letting cultural issues divide us. You know, Edgardo and I had the invitation on March the 1st to go to Baylor University, Truett Seminary there, and lead a discussion among Texas Baptist uh, leaders and pastors and some denominational leaders to lead a discussion there about what multicultural church looks like and how to do that without blowing the church up. The reason we were asked to do that is because this church's reputation is well known across the state as being a multicultural church. If we can't show people how to do that, who's going to show them, in other words? And so we were invited to go, and we did that. We sat in a room for, I don't know, four or five hours. I don't remember how long it was. It seemed like all day. And one conversation after another with people and pastors from churches around who were fighting cultural problems, sometimes driven by language differences, as they came up against traditions in the local church. This is a real thing. It wasn't just a real thing in the first century. It's a real thing today. Problems. We have problems, we might have heard them say, in that first century church. So, before I move on to the next one, let me just 
underscore this. Churches are messy because people are messy, and it's into the mess that God calls deacons. Congratulations, guys. So God doesn't leave it there, though. It's into that mess that God speaks these words. This will help. Let me help. And at the end of it all, God may well have said, now that helps. Look at verses 2 through 6 as we follow this. I'm going to back up and read verse 1 again, but we'll focus in verses 2 through 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, when, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. What I want to do is for just a moment, let's look at what the disciples did not say. Uh, Clearly, there's a lot of things they did not say, but tied specifically to not just what we find here, but also to the way we find discussions in local churches. Let's make sure that we recognize here that the disciples did not draw a distinction that's based on superiority. They did not say, well, we're better, so we're not going to serve tables. They did say, we have priorities that have been given to us, And so this is an important enough issue that we need to find some people who can deal with that. But in both cases, these are people, and I would say offices, that were designed by God, divinely laid out. Here's what I really want you to hear from me especially. This is one of those times that I want you to know where I stand. I think our deacons already know this. But I want to make sure as a church we all know this. I believe that deacons and pastors, I'll say pastoral staff, are teammates working together as equals with specific responsibilities that God has given, but the key is that we work together. Now, I say that. Yeah, that would have been a great place for an amen, but that's all right. Uh, I say that. Because so many churches, you find this posturing between pastors and deacons. Let me give you an example from either side of that. When I first was called into the ministry and went off to college, I heard classmates and others talk about these showdowns that were happening in their churches between their pastors and them, the pastors themselves, excuse me, the pastors and their deacons. And so always from the pastor side of it, it's those devilish deacons that are causing the trouble, right? No, don't say right, because that's just from some of those pastors' perspective. But they would come in and they would 
it would just be all terrible. And, and finally, one of, one of my mentors told me the story one time, a real-life story of a guy who was pastor of a church, had been for a long time, and they asked him, so why don't you have deacons at your church? He said, who needs them? And my answer to that is, well, apparently the early church, God said they need them. But he didn't want to hit that part of it. Nevertheless, he said, who needs them? And then the guy told him, so, well, you know, it does say in Scripture that God designed his church with these offices for people to make sure that the church is peaceful and healthy and moving in the right direction. To which that pastor, then he decided to get biblical. And he said, well, if I ever have any Hellenistic Jewish widows in my church who are not being fed, then we'll talk about having a deacon. Now, there's a one-word description for that. Tragic. That's tragic when a church, especially a pastor in the midst of that, cannot see through enough to understand the incredible mechanism that God designed for his church to see to it that it's peaceful and healthy and moving in the right direction. In this case, the disciples recognize that there's a problem. There is a spiritual point of reference they bring to it all. And they say, we have our priorities. Those are given, by the way, in the second part of verse 2, the first part of verse 4. That is the ministry of the Word or preaching the Word. And then the latter part of verse 4 where they also say part of their job is prayer. That's what these disciples, what we would say modern pastors, that's their priority. That's their perspective. We have to do this, but that doesn't mean that this over here is not important. It's so important that God designed this office. We know that because it says they laid their hands on them and they began this ministry process. I'd submit to you that that is a picture of God's design in the local church to see to it that it's moving forward in its mission in healthy ways. God sets up these specific steps we find in verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and then they chose these seven men. I would suggest to you that when we do what God designs, we'll, we'll be better off. That, that sounds ridiculous to even have to say that, but it's good for us to say that, to recognize this is how God set it up. And so we move accordingly, and we tie in, and look what happens, just a front end and the back end of this. First part of verse 1, before the problem arises, we find this description. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, That's a snapshot of what's happening in the early church. It's pressing the edges of Jewish society, and people are being saved, and the church is growing. And then this problem comes up. But at the end of the problem, verse 7 says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Here's what we should hear. When we fall into God's design, and we function the way we're called to function. The church moves forward. The kingdom of God spreads when we do what God's called us to do and do it in the right spirit. 
God blesses that church. Under God, we will be that church, I say. What do you say? Mm, boy, that... Mm. <laughs> So, the last thing I would want you to see is that not everybody gets to be a deacon. You'll see this next week as we go through the ordination service, that there are some qualifications. You've seen some referenced on the video already, but there are also some later in the New Testament that we could look at. I just want to look at this one, this internal qualification that we find in this Genesis passage of of the book of Acts. So one more time, we go to verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. In other words, everybody can't be a deacon. Not just anybody can be a deacon. The one who God calls to the office must be one who is spiritual in his approach. He's got to have spiritual vitality. The reason for that is because he's dealing with people, and people are messy, and the messes that are made among God's people need a divine kind of solution. And so the men, the, men, the leaders of that particular group of deacons must be spiritually-minded men. Some of you know this story. Church, I served before I came here. I received a call one afternoon from one of my staff members. He had been pastoral staff member for about four years at that time, maybe a little over four years. And um, he said, I need to talk to you before deacons meeting tonight. Deacons meetings in that church were on Thursday nights. And I said, okay. So we sat down together about five in the afternoon. He said, I just wanted to let you know that uh, my wife and I have decided to take our five children and we're going to join another kind of church. And I said, what, what's another kind of church? Well, he began to tell me, and I'm not going to tell you the particular kind of church it was. I will just tell you this. It was way on the outside of what we would call evangelical Christianity. I was dumbfounded at first. And I began to process through. By the time I finished that meeting with him, I had about an hour and a half before our deacons meeting started. And I began to process through all of the trickle-down problems that that decision that he made was going to bring into that local church. I got on the phone with the chairman of the deacons, and I said, I don't know what you had on the agenda tonight, but it's all changed in the last hour. You know, when those men gathered there, we took about 30 minutes or so for him to give his announcement, and he was excused, and I watched that group of deacons for two hours do spiritual battle for that church. Some of the problems that your deacons face are not small. <laughs> some of them are kind of small, but some of them have the, the very real capability of wrecking a church. And in that particular case, that guy's decision had the very real potential of wrecking that church's whole community persona. 
the reputation of that church was on the line because of this one guy's decision. And so for two hours, I watched those men prove to me that they were men of God. You see, the reality is that this thing called church is not about you. It's not about me. Him. And it's his church. And he puts people into leadership positions. And then he equips them to lead in such a way that the church itself and the kingdom of God as a whole moves forward in a peaceful and vibrant kind of way. God puts deacons and pastors in a church to work together to ensure the health of that church. Satan loves to to divide God's church. And so one of the things that I say, and I've said to our deacons since I got here, I'm just kind of letting you all in on the conversation now, is I'm honored to serve with you men. I believe that God has great things for our church as we move forward. And with you, I'm committed to walking with Jesus so that we can be everything that God's called us to be here as a church and as leaders. And then... I will say to these four new guys, and I'll say this a little more formally next Sunday night, but to these four men who are now moving to join the ranks of deacon in this church, you make sure that you're walking with Jesus. Don't just need another guy on a deacon body. We need more guys who walk with Jesus and are committed to the health of his church. So if you want to find problems in the local church, find a deacon. Almost certainly he'll have a load of trouble in his lap because people are messy. What a great calling. What a great privilege. What a great God who designed his church to be what he needs it to be. Let's pray. And as we go to prayer time, as we move into highlight a couple of things for you, give you a couple of things to do. First of all, if you're not a deacon in this church, I hope that this message reminds you of how important these men are in their functions here and that you will thank them and that you will pray for them on a regular basis. Secondly, for these four that we will be ordaining, we want to say thank you and buckle up. I hope that as a church we'll all be praying for these four men as they take on these new responsibilities. Maybe this invitation is a good opportunity for you to look at your involvement at the church. Are you here functioning to help the church move forward and be what God wants it to be? Maybe you haven't joined. Maybe this is a good sermon for you to see. This is a church that wants to get it right and is moving in the right directions. We'd invite you to take that step today. But if you don't know who Jesus is today, these men who are deacons in this church would be quick to tell you there is no life that's worth living except that one, the one where Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. And we invite you to that relationship today as well. Father, use this invitation time to change lives for your glory is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.